Welcome to Survival of the Wittiest, where I sit down with the funniest people I know and discuss how comedy has shaped their lives. I'm Teresa Clouse. Pour yourself a drink, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Survival of the Wittiest. I'm your host, Teresa Clouse. My guest this week has performed at Lincoln Center, the Weston Playhouse, and with the legendary Goldust Orphans in Boston and P-Town. He was one of the final contenders for the voice of Barney. Yes, that Barney. Before his first New York City audition, he was given a pep talk by Liza Minnelli. Yes, that Liza Minnelli. Sit back and enjoy my conversation with Richard Buckley. not that good but oh that's good tell me where were you born stoneham massachusetts okay went to high school with nancy kerrigan no and mario cantone was a few years ahead of me and he was running a stoneham summer theater and he directed me in um well i actually i was the i want to say i was the magic bed in once upon a mattress you were the bed yes is that normally played by a person? No, but it wheeled down the middle of the aisle. It was in the basement of a church. And um, so I was inside the bed uh, for the entire show. No. I was very proud of that. That seems like, okay. I was going to say that seems like not a great. And Paul Perry also was um, went from Stoneham as well, who is one of the buddies. No way. Wow. Well, do you get, do you cut? text with nancy every once in a while do you keep no, in contact we were never really that close she was a few years off uh from me and she was always skating so that was her fancy time and i was just being a quiet person what was life like growing up in massachusetts i hated massachusetts i hated the the whole angst of childhood and and all of that uh, I was a great observer, and I i think that's why I gleaned onto you for some reason. I saw you uh, when you were in the Young Company at the yes. Wesson Playhouse, yep. and I said, that's someone funny, I like that person, and then years went by. I never met, I don't think I ever met you then. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw you at Sam Lloyd's Memorial, Yeah. and you said you had a podcast, and I said, that's fantastic. I'll listen to it. Yeah, sure, I'll listen to it. So I listened to the first one, five minutes in. I got to do this. I got to do this. I don't know you. I don't know why I need to know you. But there's something about you I have to figure out. Oh, my goodness. That's like the biggest compliment I've ever received. I, I'm fascinated in some way. You know, 
I did just get my aura read at Magic Jewelry um, in Chinatown, mm-hmm. and pff, I just feel like no, it has nothing to do with oh. this. But um, but they did say a lot of things, and I feel like somewhere in that Polaroid they took of me was this. Oh, you got a Polaroid too? <laughs> yes, I'll show you later. Oh, I know. And they 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 take a Polaroid of your electricity coming out of your body mm-hmm. and then they interpret it to you which at first i was like this is total nonsense mm. but then i got up there and i was like you know me i was like am i your favorite person you've ever done this to do you text each other now no i wish mm. i'm sure she would be like yeah if you venmo me <laughs> <laughs> i've got lots of people i can connect you with i have gone off the spiritual and now i know all really? these phenomenal people really? it's always been on the fringe and then it just sort of happened wow you know what i've always hated listening to people on the radio and thinking oh god they got that dry mouth thing and i can hear my dry mouth i've become one of those people <laughs> That's horrible. Well, have some more vodka. Mm-hmm. You'll be fine. Mm-hmm. What did you hate about Massachusetts? I Other than the drivers. Mm, um, I grew up in a very Irish Catholic family. Not observant, but we had to go through the motions because we all had to get confirmed and all that stuff. Very worker town, always lower middle class. And that was fine. My challenge for me, and I didn't realize it until probably middle school, is I had a handicapped brother, and I didn't realize everyone didn't have one. Mm. So I was fine until I realized I was different. Mm. And that sort of changed how my dynamic, how I related to everything. Can I ask what his handicap was? He was born with Down syndrome and um, got quite a bit of autism and OCD and a lot of other medical problems. So he was basically a mute, although he and I communi- communicated very well throughout wow. our years. Um, and he was younger than you? He was my big brother. Okay. And we shared a room together. I always had to watch after him. Um, and he was my best friend. He was he was a great, great guy. Um, we always had our conflicts and he might not have been verbal, but he could always get me in trouble (laughs) and he could always tell me what he wanted. And so I learned from him how to be expressive Mm -hmm. and he was so funny. He could give a slow burn better than anyone I've ever seen. And I learned from him how to be funny. Wow. He was the guy. He was fantastic. Did you did you watch TV shows together? What everything. kind of you did everything. Everything. Okay. We would um watch uh Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, Electric Company, um Donnie and Marie. Um oh, he loved the Three Stooges. Yeah. And then he would try the moves out on me, so I would always get hurt, but I wouldn't <laughs> tell on my brother, but when I would hurt him, then he would tell on me. Well, you know. That's all's the way fair. it was. Yeah. And because there wasn't a lot of verbal communication, were you guys doing a lot of physical comedy? And like you said, you know, doing the Three Stooges, a lot of that kind of choreographed stuff? We weren't supposed to because invariably one of us, me, would get hurt. So mom would always be yelling upstairs, but we had so much fun. We always spent time together. We spun things. He loved spinning marbles and pennies. And we do that for hours and hours. Mm. We didn't know what autism was back then. Right. 
that was just what you did with your big brother. So I was mimicking my autistic big brother thinking that's completely normal. Wow. Then when you make friends and go, what? You don't have a David? That that's so crazy. What okay. So but do you 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 have a David in your family, right? No, you don't have one. It was like just crushing that I was different. I wanted to blend mm-hmm. and and I didn't. And do you feel like because obviously your relationship with him was a different situation, was it harder for you to find friends? When there wasn't that involved, that kind of different communication or what have you? I was very reserved because I didn't want to share that part once I realized it was different. Uh-huh. But So I didn't have friends over a lot, but I, I just was very sensitive to everyone else and how normal they were mm-hmm. and wishing that they were a little more special like our family. Mm-hmm. And it, it was so would you say like when you were in grade school or in high school you didn't you kind of were quiet or on your own you weren't really having a, a lot of friends maybe? No, I didn't have a lot of friends at all. And it was I I tried to participate um I came out of my shell a little doing theater and doing the arts and chorus and band and stuff like that. But I just was awkward. I was always an observer. I mm. love watching people and human nature. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating. And I I think that's where later my comedy came into play because I was such a good observer of everyone else. I could pick up on those silent cues. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize I could do comedy and improv until the Act 4 Cabaret. Love that. That was mind-blowing for me. And you started, you worked at the Weston Playhouse in Vermont starting in 1980 or 1990? 1990. I think Dave Bonanno and I were first years the same year. I think it was Carousel. I think it was. And you, where did you go to college before that? Or was this during during college? What, I don't this know, was during college. Okay, I had, got it. I'd done two years at Salem State College um, as a nuclear medicine um, undergrad. Wow. Lost my mind after two years, and I came home crying to my mother saying, I'm going to apply to the Boss Conservatory, and if I don't get in, then I'm not going. I'm not going back to school. And she says, <laughs> okay. What do you mean, okay? That's, I, I'm telling you, I can't go to school for like smart stuff. No, I know you didn't want that. Why did you pay for it then? (laughs) Well, because you wanted to go to college, and I wanted you to have an education. So I applied. I got in. And through that, I met um, Fran Limoncelli, Mm -hmm. and I think it was Ann McKechnie. Was it Ann McKechnie? I think it was as well, who were already working at the Weston Playhouse. And there was a sign posted in the green room that said, auditions for the chorus uh, up in Vermont. And I applied, and and Fran recommended me. So that started like a decade of shows there. And right away that summer, you started in the cabaret. Oh yeah, that they were still doing the. I want to say it was a six show season, and you had to be in every show Mm -hmm. and in every cabaret. You had to do the whole thing. And did you did you also help write anything for that? No, no. But Tim Fort. 
Who's one of one of one the of the three guys? The artistic directors. He he's a quirky guy, but he knows he knows the standards of comedy. He might not. I don't I don't know if he has the natural impulse to do it, but he knows the he beats knows of the it. Rules. He knows what works and what doesn't, mm-hmm. and he knows the people that can get away with more. Mm-hmm. And I think he saw in me early a quirkiness that maybe he can go on the fly and do stuff that's a little more cutting edge. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that happened, they started giving me little bits here and there. And I loved it. I loved every minute of What was one of your favorite memories or sketches or scenes or songs that you did from the cabaret? I never did a solo song. That wasn't my shtick. I was always the sidekick. And that's always been my thing. That will always be my thing. I will never be famous for being the lead. It's the sidekick. And I love it. I love supporting someone. Um, I loved the Western Village people when it was <laughs> raunchy. It was so raunchy back then. And it was just wrong. And we're in spandex and would be dry humping the audience <laughs> and it just is uh, western village people and the green mountain boys mm-hmm. love that um maybe we'll have to insert some of those here if we can find them oh gosh <laughs> i don't know no those, <laughs> probably not those are hidden in in places i've got photos <laughs> yeah maybe a photo you then. can't show a photo on a podcast well uh, social media oh that's true we can oh, do that hey I, I, such great times. I remember working with Bill Hines. We were always put together. He was about yes. six foot five. I know Bill. And we were put together and would just come out on stage and they would just start laughing. And we were both very, very dry. So we we worked well together. It, they didn't have to write anything for us. That's the best when people start laughing before you even open your mouth. Yeah. We did Peter Pan and I was Peter Pan it was a George Howe yeah. uh, production. His stuff was brilliant. <laughs> and Bill was supposed to lift me up on his shoulders, and I was supposed to fly around the entire cabaret. And he's taller than we thought. <laughs> and I got clonked by the metal beam. Mm-hmm. And it made such a sound. And I can still hear the, oh, from the <laughs> audience. And I'm going, and I have a thump. Like you still huge, do. I can see it's it. It's horrible. But you can't stop because you're on stage and they're loving you and they're laughing at you. The Weston Cabaret for our listeners is in the basement of the Weston Playhouse. And it's pretty small room in terms of like height from the floor to the ceiling and there's these metal beams holding it up and yeah yeah it's in the basement of an old church basically and it's just a special place because it is so ragtag it's gotten a little formal uh in the past decade or so a little more shishi and that's all right my dream this is my dream (gasps) and it has been for years I got the wrong dream. I, I got the message wrong. I bought a house in Vermont back in 97 when I came into a little money. and <laughs> When you won the lottery. So I chose to buy high you know, and then uh, all of a sudden lose a job. So tried to sell and then it's on the, and the average time to sell a house in Vermont is five years. Right. And it was. It was five years it was on wow. the market. So they were I right. lost my mind. 
But it was a great house. But my ultimate goal always has been that White House, this isn't really good for the podcast, but I'm, I'm talking to you. Um, that White House in the parking lot next to the museum. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Been on sale forever and ever and ever. I want to buy that house and turn the basement into a tavern where the Act for Cabaret can go year-round if it wants to. Because the rumor is that they've always wanted to sort of get away from that because it's not as highbrow as it used to be. Then cabaret artists can come up all the time, year-round. I will support you in this dream. A year-round pub, year-round little cafe. Well, that is the hard thing about small-town life is everything closes at like 5 p.m. But now the new theater is open. Right. So it's going to be year-round that people are going to be up there. Well, get going. I know. I know. So, okay. Okay. Tell me, let's go back a little bit. When did you first realize that you were funny? I I remember saying or doing something and my mother gave a surprise but knowing look at me and I could tell she was impressed. It was just something, but it was above my what I should have been funny at. Yeah. And I was. So I, I hit it out of the park. And that little spark, that's why I went into theater. Because if I could make my mother happy and theater, anything I did in theater made her happy, that was it. That's, I'm staying in theater. As long as she's happy, I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And making her proud. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's had a tough life. We had, there are four kids. I'm the baby. David was a handful. And it, you could see it, it just took it out of the rest of the family. And I was there to make everything happy and golden, and and I, I didn't want to do anything wrong. So anything I could do right mm-hmm. and make them happy, I'm doing it. And what did your dad do? Dad was a, a jack of all trades. He, in, he was in two branches of the military. He was going to be a dentist. And then for some reason, he got a full scholarship to BC and turned it down and went into banking for a little while. Then he went into furniture sales. Then he went into construction. He just did anything that paid the bills for the family. Do you feel like you're a bit of a jack of all trades too? Because that kind of sounds familiar. Now I am, yeah. I can't do anything for more than three or five years. (laughs) I have to transfer into some other genre. Why do you think that is? I get bored. I get bored of the routine of it all. If I love a job, no, I I think I've always been the bohemian. It, I think it started with summer stock, where mm-hmm. you've got three months there, then you're back to school. And then you've got three months there, you've got six-month contracts on the ship, you do a nine-month contract on tour. So I don't know this lifetime of a job. Mm-hmm. Do you also think that actors can be good at anything, in a sense? No, but they're better prepared to. Uh, I'm sipping. Uh, I think the communication skills that actors and performers and generals learn in college and in life is huge because I think that's what's going to set us apart in later years, whether or not we're in the entertainment business. 
because we understand that communication is the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And whatever field you go into, whatever field I've gone into, I have succeeded because of my communication. Mm-hmm. And there's an incredible lack of the ability to communicate well in every other industry. And it's those rare few that can are the people that excel. Mm-hmm. Have you ever used humor or comedy to get through a difficult or stressful situation? Absolutely. To, to cope? Every day. Every day, yeah. Um, I think some of my most fond memories in childhood were going to Irish wakes. We had such a huge family and people were dropping <laughs> left and right. My father was the youngest of 10. My mom was the youngest of three. There were relatives. Every- That's how you learned your family is you would show up at the wake. It was fantastic. Can you talk to me about what an Irish wake is? You don't know what an Irish wake is. I just need to be reminded. No, I don't know. It is. Our Irish wakes were very blue collar. It was a celebration instead of, I I feel like it is the polar opposite of an Italian Catholic (laughs) wake. It is because that's emotion. That's sobbing and crying in my mind. Right. Irish you are just in the lobby, you're drinking, you're telling stories, you're telling tales, then you go to the VFW after, and everyone's getting blotto, and they're telling stories, and they'll argue, and people will be kicked out. <laughs> it's just, it, it, that's how you knew your family. You all had the same face, you all look the same. It, it, I just, I always remember, I never had a fear of death because I saw it so often, Mm -hmm. but I never liked the corpses. I never liked seeing the open casket. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to go up and say, oh, bye, and they always wanted you to touch. Like, Like, I'm good. I don't like that. I don't need to touch. Yeah, that's my one little thing. (laughs) Yeah, one little thing. So are there any, any things you can remember in your adult life of how you've used humor to get through? I think the darker the moment, the funnier it can be. There was, I I remember distinctly when my mom, oh, here, this is a good one. Okay, this is dark and wrong and like it's going to turn off half your audience. (laughs) I was uh, an actor and a waiter (laughs) in New York at the time. And I got a call from my sister saying, moms are really sick. You need to come home. And oddly, I was on a first date, a blind date at the time. Literally, I was on a blind date. And I get the phone call with my little flip phone. And uh, she says, you got to come home. I said, well, you know, is it really that important? It's like, no, you really have to come home. You know, she's she's not going to be around for more, probably a month or two, maybe six months. Like, oh, Okay. So I get my mixtape from my my new date slash boyfriend, Stephen. He's a <laughs> lovely guy, still in the business. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> Doing very well. He's a very, very sweet guy. Anyway, I go home. She picks me up at the train station in Boston. 
we go up to Essex and it just, it was shocking to see her there, but we're all gathered around and we decide it's best for all of us just to stay in the house and take turns taking care of her and everything. And probably on like day six or seven, she, dad says, mom's calling us in here. Come on, everyone come in. We come into the room. She's in my bedroom, by the way. And <laughs> because it's on the first floor, it just happens to be. So we're gathered around and she starts, she's in and out of lucidity. And she's looking up at the ceiling, very inquisitive, like she's seeing something and trying to formulate her thoughts. And she says, oh, what a wonderful mother, a nice caretaker, very creative, very proud. And we look at my sister, Christy, like, oh, that's for you, Christy. That was so sweet. And we're all crying because my sister Melissa's on my left, my sister Christy's on the right, and I'm. we're just holding hands. We're like, this is so sad. This is beautiful. These are the, her last words. I know they are. And then she goes a few minutes, gets the thoughtful look on her face. And she says, very strong, very supportive, a great mother, doing well. Melissa, that was that was so sweet, Melissa. And this is great. <laughs> so I'm leaning in, we're all leaning because I know it's my turn. I can't wait. Tears. She gets the puzzled look on her face again. And then she says, very funny looking. And my sisters fell to the ground laughing. <laughs> I'm horror struck <laughs> thinking, well, that, that, that can't be, that can't be it. That's, that's, no. I want to do over. That's not my, that's, nope, I'll just wait here. <laughs> just wait here. Funny, I'm sure there's, I, you meant very funny and good looking, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. That, that was it. That was it. Oh. That was it. So a few days later, in the <laughs> middle of the night, she passes. I'm sleeping on the living room floor. My sisters are someplace else in the house, and Dad wakes us up and says, here's a credit card. Um, go buy yourself something for the, the funeral. Well, we haven't been asleep for 48 hours. Why, why do we just, just go to the mall and buy something? Just, just go. So, my sisters and I were kicked out of the house because at like seven o'clock in the morning with my dad's credit card, and we're supposed to drive to the mall. There's no mall open at seven o'clock in the morning to buy something pretty for the funeral because he wanted us out of the house when the body went out, and he wanted to have his private time with mom. Mm -hmm. I get it, but we were so tired. So we're drinking at ten o'clock in the morning at a TGIF. <laughs> We're like, can I have a pink Chardonnay? And, a, and we're just laughing because we're so tired. And we, we get in these laughing jags. And it's it, those are some really great times because mm -hmm. we just laugh. What, when you can't do anything more, you just laugh. Right. Oh, he was funny looking. He was Oh, what? No. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. That's not it. No. Oh, my God. But I think I got my comedy from her because she was very, very smart and dry. She's very... 
talk to me about dry humor. What do you like about it? Have have you seen others do it that you kind of want to imitate or in movies or TV? Or is it your own special brand? My idol growing up, the person that I wanted to be and what solidified the sidekick thought was uh, Tim Conway. Mm-hmm. His, I didn't want to have the whole scene I wanted to come in halfway through, say my 10 lines, wreck them, wreck the audience, wreck the cast, and leave. That is kind of the dream. That's it. I don't want to work that hard. I don't want to work with 75 lines. Give me 10 lines. I'll do them well. I'll get out. Mm-hmm. Love Tim Conway. For dryness, oddly, I don't get people that have a dry sense of humor. It. It's not funny to me because it's too similar. Mm. So I gravitate toward people that have a very either a, a loud humor or very intellectual humor. But my thing is, I, and I can't stop it. It just comes out. I, I, I used to be dry. I think I'm a little more moist <laughs> now. I think age has done that to me. <laughs> and knowing, reading my audience, which is life. I can't be that dry because a lot of people miss it. Mm-hmm. If I was still in theater, it would probably still be dry, dry and dark, but you have to be a little more PC and um, fluffy mm-hmm. with real people. You you did write at least a cabaret, right, that you performed? Vicki Schmidt and I did a cabaret in... Provincetown, mm-hmm. and and I worked with Vicky on a few pieces um, in Vermont as well. That's I I've never felt that's my forte, mm-hmm. the writing part. Although I'd love to write something, I just can't quite figure out what it is. Got a lot of stuff. My my memoir. I've already figured out how it's going to be. I love it. I'm going to write my entire life story, the dark and real story, and then. The book, you flip it over. Yes, yes. And then the other side is the comedy version of all those scenarios. I love it. So if you just want to read. It's like I, a magazine. Exactly. One of those magazines that you can flip over. Yeah. So you read the funny side if you want, and then you see the real gripping. That is a great crap. idea. I, I don't know how they print it, but I love it. I'll produce it. Please do. I don't know how. Okay. Let's do it. Yes, please. Do you ever miss acting? No, I really don't. I. No, I I miss the people. I miss the personalities. I miss the performer personality. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful, special. I've never laughed so much around. There's so it. It's just such an open environment. Mm-hmm. You just know people right away. Mm-hmm. Whereas you work in banking, you work in retail. They're just not they're not my people Mm -hmm. i they they don't seem as smart to me as funny as and i don't it's just a spark that's missing is that i miss do you do you consciously try to bring humor to those workplaces absolutely and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but i always end up being that freak in the company 
that always gets invited to parties or to events or they want me to open up the conference because I'm the funny one. Mm-hmm. And I don't like being the dancing monkey. Mm-hmm. It's it's exhausting. And actually, could you dance for one second? No, I can't. All right. No. <laughs> but thank you for asking. Who do you love to watch perform? Anyone that can own a room. Anyone. And that's why you stuck out for me. Was, it, because was you, it the purple unitard? That was a big talk of the town that summer. Really? Yeah. For what reason? Just because um, because I was wearing a purple unitard over my pants, and that was a conscious decision. It's an interesting, very cabaret choice. Um, oh, so you probably were one of the last season that wore the bananas. Yep, I think... I, think... I carved those bananas. <laughs> How does your humor affect your relationships? I am very different offstage than onstage. So I consider anything work-related my onstage, where I'm very, very funny. When I'm offstage, when I'm done, I'm done. And I don't find myself very funny at all. Hmm. If I'm funny, I'm usually on, and that's not my genuine hmm. self. Interesting. I'm a much darker person. I think a lot of comedians are very silent and quiet and dark. And I, I sort of fall into that category as well. It's exhausting being an on personality, as any performer mm-hmm. you would know. Mm-hmm. Or is that not your dynamic? Do you like being on and funny? I mean, I think it depends. I think that there are times when I definitely want to be quiet, but I do. There is much. There is very much a high when you're with the right group of people or persons, but usually it has to be more than two people um, that you're really on a roll, and I do enjoy that. So I'm not... I guess it just depends on the day, maybe. Right. Yeah. I get exhausted easily by humanity. It depends. I mean... My survival job is working with a lot of clients, so sometimes that that connection alone or talking or all of that is exhausting, so then when I get home from that, I'm tired. But, I mean, especially if I'm working on a contract or a show or something, I'm, I'm, I like that audience situation. Right, because you're also still entertaining that way versus a client where you're using a different side of your brain and it's just exhausting to going from left to right, I right. find. But yeah. maybe that's my age. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, you have created some very funny Facebook videos. Completely accidentally. That's what I was wondering. Because basically, if I can kind of describe them, pretty much the, the basis of it is you are trying something out, a product, for the mm-hmm. first time, and then it's your genuine reaction to the product. Yes. The first one started as a dare. It was the unicorn frappuccino. <laughs> and I said, Maybe that's sure. what we'll put right here. Oh, oh, that'd be perfect. We could put the audio from it. I really want this to be good. I really, really, really want this to be good. Very pretty. Doesn't really smell like anything. You want to lick that down? Yeah. Lick that. Uh... So really pretty colors. Can't smell anything. So I'm just gonna dig in and see what happens. I want this to be good. 
I've been hearing mixed reviews about it. We will see. Okay. I want this to be good. I want this to be good. Well, that's not bad. It's kind of vanilla-y. Wait. There's a... Well, it's good until it tastes sour. It tastes like... Like old Sturbridge Village butter. Hmm. It's not bad. I've had worse. Oh! There... Oh! Oh! Ooh! There it is. There. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Can you do potty mouth on, on your podcast? Oh, yeah. It's oh, okay. explicit. Okay, good. Because yeah. I like being potty. Oh. <laughs> I think the drink's, drink's potty hitting. Potty conscious? Is that what you're going <laughs> Yes, I think that's what I was. I don't know what happened, but it stopped halfway through the word and it didn't sound quite right. I do apologize. Oh, dear. Um, yes. Yeah, so someone uh, asked me to try dared me to try the unicorn frappuccino because they had seen a video of it and i did there was only four days that they were selling the drink i tried so hard to have it and it was almost sold out i got the last version of it and it was mediocre to bad it just had a weird wave of flavors and i posted it on facebook and my goal was to beat my current um number of likes that I had on any posting, which was 100. And by the time I had gone to bed, it was around 500. I'm going, holy moly, wow, that's a, look at me, I'm a viral sensation, that's fantastic. And then friends are going, um, you gotta check your, your, your face, do you see how many, you've got 3,000 likes on you, you, what's it? So I'm up to something like 25,000 now, which is crazy. Oh my gosh, crazy. can you get sponsors? I don't think at 25,000. I think once you get to a million or so and you consistently do that. All right. So people started sending me links saying, you need to try this, you need to try that. Well, I'm not going to put just anything in my mouth. I am a lady, you know, <laughs> and not without money in my hand. So I started trying things that would be fun and I've gotten a couple I of offers. I love the of hair dye. That was cool. It was less than I thought it would be. It didn't work right. Nothing seems, but I also... Yeah, but you got it. I mean, you did get it from China or something. Yeah, I know. No I've offense gotten, to the Chinese. No, listeners. but it, it, I don't have enough hair. That's the problem. <laughs> so it's just like one little wisp of white. Uh, but it would work, I think, on other people. It just doesn't work on me. So I'm a little, not to be pretentious, but I'm a little picky and choosy about what is going to be tested next next because i can tell if it's going to be funny or not like if i'm going to just try a pretzel that's not gonna there was a hot one too right oh well that was a good one that you had cooked my neighbor <laughs> we both have rooftop gardens she grows some hot peppers and she was going away saying just take whatever peppers you want we're not going to be able to use them so i thought i'd surprise them and make a hot pepper sauce and I, I'm Irish Catholic. I can't eat hot pepper sauce. That's anything above pepper is it's salt and pepper. That's my spice. I made the hot sauce. 
it was horrendous. It was the most disgusting, horrible thing. And then I added twice the amount of sugar and molasses. It was still horrible. Weird thing is I brought it to work and one of my coworkers is Dominican Republic who's married to a Jamaican. And my boss is from um, Barbados. <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing. So I gave them each stuff because I thought, oh, you probably like some hot. Do you like hot sauce? Oh, my God, I love hot sauce. They think it's freaking amazing. Wow. The husband, who's a lawyer, said, I want to market this. We're going to sell this. No way. So I'm making batches now to bring to a restaurant that's opening in Boston in a week or so. And we're going to do a test market to see if, because he's saying this is legit Caribbean. He said, I have never had such a legit Caribbean hot sauce. Where did you get the recipe from? I just, I looked at it online and I just changed some stuff and... and Wow. So I may be going into the hot sauce business. (laughs) So keep your eye out for King Richard's hot sauce. Oh my God. That's amazing. When, so, so you were living in New York. Mm -hmm. How long did you live in New York? About seven years. And then... That was around the time when mom passed. Right, right. Lost my love of acting because I was doing it for her and I didn't really have any joie de vivre left. So I moved to P-Town and I became a houseboy. I lived, I had never been to P-Town, never heard of P-Town. Wait, what is a houseboy? What is a houseboy? I don't know. Teresa. Okay, so a houseboy is basically the lower end of staff, um, usually at a um, gay destination. So if it's uh, like a gay B&B in P-Town, um, a houseboy would be the bed maker, the, the bathroom cleaner, and the cooker of food, basically staff. But okay. they call it a houseboy. So you get your housing and a stipend. Okay. So I... But you're not like having to perform any kind of... Not of dirty stuff. Although some houseboys would. Right. Um, okay. Depending upon the... And you don't mind that title? Or didn't mind it? I'm proud of it. I didn't put out, so that's all that matters. So the weird thing is I found out about P-Town from Malcolm Ewan, who said, <laughs> I'm going down to P-Town. Why don't you join me there for um, in, like, December? I said, oh, I've never been there before. He said, you grew up in Massachusetts. How do you not know about P-Town? So yeah, I'd never been there. I don't know. No, I'll go. So went there. Like, oh, this is a sleepy little village in, <laughs> in December. This is cute little artist community. I like this. This is nice. And as I was leaving, because it was a very nice guest house, I said, if you ever need a, uh, help, just give a holler, because I'm just an actor in New York, and I'm looking for new stuff to do. They called a week later and said, do you want to be a houseboy? I said, sure. So I moved there in February. Boy, was I surprised when summer happened. <laughs> I didn't know, A, it was gay, B, it was like the mecca right. of, of the universe of gayness right. and parades and shows and drag, and I, I had no, no idea. That was a shocking to me. Were you? Did you love it? Did you love living there and I didn't there? like the high season. I liked the off season. I liked the quiet, and I like walking down the streets when there's just snowbanks and nobody around. I like the the pubs and the taverns when it's just the townies i love phenomenal little theater community down there that's where i learned again to love acting Hmm. which was wonderful uh and i was glad i was there for 
a while, went through some some crap. And because of it, I moved home to uh, Essex to take care of my dad when his health started to fail. And it these horrible events create positive outcomes if you just allow it mm-hmm. is my mantra for the moment because I'm in limbo again and I don't know what's happening next but if I just allow it to happen it's going to happen mm-hmm. I just I have to have faith that it's going to happen what were some of your favorite roles that you performed be it on stage or off hmm. I like the twist there um I think my most important role to date has been taking care of my dad. I went home. We thought he was only going to have six months. And since I was the unmarried with no children uh, sibling, I would obviously go home. And six months later, he's healthy. He's fine. Six years later, I'm still living with him, taking care of him. Maybe it's you. That's it. I keep. Maybe you're a miracle worker. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I lost my sanity, but that's when I started working for Ryan Landry. I don't know if you know Ryan Landry and the Gold Dust Orphans. Very cult, uh, underground, guerrilla, gay um, theater. Really, really phenomenal, sharp theater. I think he's mo- mostly in New Orleans now. He he was the first one that got me into a dress. Well, that's not true. The Vermont. Uh, Western Playhouse got me into a dress first, but like <laughs> a, a real dress, yeah. um, playing a, a female character. So I loved those roles. They were funny and funky and campy, but I always played the pretty girl, but I was really ugly. So I liked that. You know, she thought she was pretty and she was the popular one, but all the glamorous ones were all the, the hoes and the, the crack <laughs> dealers. When, you don't have to answer this, but when did you realize you were gay? I think I always knew I was. I've never kissed a girl. I've. You want to? Let's go. Uh, okay. Uh, well, no. I th- I like my I like my platinum. <laughs> I, I like. My, I don't want to give that up. Yeah. Um, no, although I, I did, in well, I think I was twelve or thirteen. My crush, John Ledwith. Oh, what's that? Just noises people walking how do we hear that you know i don't know it's an old house it's not even in the room that's amazing you should leave the microphones on for ghosts ew no i would be so petrified really yeah oh i think that's fascinating okay all right i'll just okay john wedworth oh john wedworth john john v ledwith ledwith the third (laughs) he was my crush and he said do you want to go to the movies i'm like yeah of course i want to go to the movies and he brings along carol leonard i'm like oh he was setting us up, and he wanted, and we went to the Muppet movie together. And he made Kara and I have a kiss at the end of the movie. Okay, so you have definitely kissed a lady. It was it was not even like a stage kiss because I knew I that wasn't what I wanted to do. So it wasn't even right, an right. attempt. So I, I'm no, you're not taking the platinum away. You can justify away. it. You're not taking the platinum away. It's not <laughs> happening. Not happening. Um, but I've always known. And I'm always surprised when people don't know because of my lifetime of being teased and taunted because of it, I assumed everyone else knew. So why are you surprised? Like when I graduated from college, I'm at the Boston Conservatory. My closest friends were shocked 
when they found out that I was dating someone at the school. Like, wh- how can, how are you shocked? But I didn't think we had to have that conversation. We're in mm-hmm. theater. I, it was just amazing to me. I just assumed since right. all the thugs recognize me walking down the street or down the, the hallway of school. How did my friends not know this? I do think, though, that people who don't know us very well are willing to make a quick judgment versus friends who are willing to let you say it if you so choose. And maybe will withhold their judgment until then. I guess so. I just never... I I just assumed that they did know. It, it mm-hmm. was just an unspoken, really? You didn't... Okay, okay I'm sorry I didn't tell you. Mm-hmm. I thought you didn't know. Did your mom or your dad or family... Were they accepting? My sisters, everyone was very accepting. My, I never officially came out to my mom because, again, I thought everyone knew, but I wanted to say it to her just to make sure. But, of course, it was during all the drama of you know, her choosing to die. Um, so <laughs> how how rude. Um, but I did write the letter, and and I never got any response because I think it was probably too late, but I wanted to know. And my sisters later said, oh, yeah, she she always knew. We we had many conversations. Don't worry about it. And that's what I figured. And Dad was very funny during my years living with him. I think it was, it was probably like 30 or 35, and we're sitting at our local bar, and he hand, tosses me a manila folder. And he says, happy birthday. It's not my birthday, Dad. It's like, yeah, well, I just got this early thing for you. I I thought that you were gonna like get married and um, have a family, and you want to be buried with them. But I I saw that the plots next door to us opened up, so um, <laughs> I bought you four spaces. Aww. You're gonna have to cut down the tree in order to be buried there, but that's you know there you go. So I've got four burial plots in Essex, Massachusetts. Can I sign up? Sure. No, I'm just joking. I mean, I don't know where i'll be yet but maybe who gets maybe i could rent it out yeah well i don't know i think it's a longer term right yeah (laughs) but it was that's like the darkest birthday present ever yeah i i thought you were gonna get married and have kids but here you go so he had already done it for you yeah he's he's already prepaid for the the (laughs) plots i've got four plots but it can only be one stone and it is right on the the dirt road at the back, but it's right next to the family plots. So, Aww. did you ever want to have kids? No. Short and sweet. I like kids. Uh, I think I'm far too selfish and flighty to have a child. Every three to five years, you're like uh, exactly ready to move on. My cat's wearing me out. I can't imagine what a <laughs> child would do. Uh, have you ever wanted to be married? No. I like the thought of a party. <laughs> I, I like all those celebrity weddings, and I, I think that would be pretty, but no. It's it's never been... More exciting to me is building from scratch a dollhouse. Interesting. Go on. I My um, maiden aunt, Foofy, she, I would bicycle from Stoneham to Medford, once a week or so when I was probably seven or eight years old, which isn't a good thing for a seven or eight-year-old to do. Maybe 10 miles. 
so I could play with her dollhouse because she had lots of dolls and lots of candy. And that I was, was just, probably when everyone was like, yeah, he's yeah, he's gay. Exactly. I loved <laughs> I loved the dolls. I, I just but it was the dollhouse. It was the looking. Oh, this is oh, this is channeling into something else here. Looking into the dollhouse and just imagining how people are living in the house, and I I could imagine myself because I want to have the the electricity and I want to have the wallpaper and I want to have like a real house and I want to grow the the plants around the my mom she would especially during Christmas time but she would always I always felt like she treated me special she said let's get in the car so we'd get in the car around four or five o'clock when the sun was setting winter time and summertime, probably eight or nine, and we'd drive slowly around neighborhoods, and we would stop in front of houses and look into the windows from the car at other people living there, living there, and seeing. So, if their lights were on, if their lights were on, we're not going up to the house. But we would, if they had a big picture window, we loved that because we'd go, "Oh, look at that painting over the so. Oh, that's just off. That's." tacky oh we're moving and we move on it's like oh look at they're having a family party oh what do you think's happening in there and we just look at all the different families and imagine what's happening no wonder you're such an observer I, you were I trained just, to be. i was trained and she i think was on some level looking just wishing for herself she probably mm-hmm. had these great plans and images for what her life was going to be like didn't happen exactly as it was mm-hmm. you know everyone has their Life choices and then life surprises with other stuff. Mm-hmm. There is this one. I've babysat twice for some friends of mine uh, on the Upper East Side who, when I'm usually rocking the baby to sleep, I look in, out across the way to mm-hmm. the other apartment. And New York is obviously great for this. Mm-hmm. But um, but I haven't seen it so good before um, as this example. But the one day I was there... Um, and there was a party and there was the drama and you could see the people drinking and sitting and talking and, and all this. And it was really great. And, you know, I'm trying to get the baby to sleep, but I'm also watching. And then maybe four months later, I was back there just recently and I'm getting the baby to sleep and I'm looking and they're having another party. And it was, it is like that. It's like, what are they doing? What are their lives I like? I just imagine it. Which, by the way, there's an amazing This American Life that you have to listen to about people watching people's lives from their windows. I will send you the link. Fantastic. Oh, my. You will die. It's amazing. I know I tread the fine line between creepy and. But I love watching and observing. I love seeing what looks like perfection, but knowing that it's not. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to imagine. It's a nice to dream that they've got the perfect life. Mm-hmm. It is funny. Me and my mom, especially on the weekends, like after church or on Saturdays or whatever, we would always go to open houses. Oh, I which so I don't know if you saw that. the movie Lady Bird. Because no, not yet. I saw it with my mom. It was so good, and and that's a moment in the movie that they go and do to make themselves feel better. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's what we did. But but we used to do it all the time, which is kind of similar to what you and your mom did, which was, you know, going and pretending like this could be our new life. Mm-hmm. And I always thought when I was younger that when you bought a house, you got everything in it. So if it was, a you know, a family that was wealthier, I was like, well, 
let's get this That's house because we could get everything here and it would be such you know great deal that is fantastic yeah i i remember christmas time too she we we love the christmas lights but we could never have christmas lights with blinkies because stacy one of my brother's friends she had some issues all of all of our friends had issues uh, so she would come over but she she would seize if they had blinky lights mm. So, mom, Stacy's seizing at the Christmas tree. Put a spoon in her mouth, okay? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm five years old. Just put a spoon in the mouth. Come what on. did the spoon in the mouth do? It was supposed to hold down the tongue so they oh. didn't choke. It's oh. now not a good thing to do, they've discovered. <laughs> but at the time, that was what you're supposed to Because if you put your fingers in, they when could they, they could bite the finger right. off. So you... So, you know, I was car- carried around a spoon. You never know. If you're around Stacy, you oh. got to carry a spoon. Oh. And I would do um, hide and seek with Stacy. She loved hide and seek. She was probably about five foot 11. And she had um, crutches as well and Coke bottle glasses. Couldn't understand a thing she said, but we understood enough. And we do hide and seek. And all of a sudden, it was my turn to find Stacy give her about a half an hour to wander around the house because she's slower that way it, that's fine i could watch some tv electric <laughs> company and then i said okay stacy i'm coming this is probably i'm eight or nine now I'm like wow i can't find state where's stacy mom have you seen stacy stacy's mom where's stacy we can't find her we're playing hide and seek and then all of a sudden you hear this clunk, 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 and then laughter here, clunk, 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 and laughed. Stacy, where are you, Stacy? Clunk, laughter. My dad had installed a laundry chute from the second floor to the first floor. She had somehow crawled into a, an eighteen by twenty-four foot hole on the second floor, and she was hanging. <gasps> you could only see her hands at the top of the second floor, and oh, she's got full no. leg braces on, too. So we couldn't figure out how the hell we were going to get Stacy out of the laundry chute. Oh, she was having no. the best time of her life. She found the best place ever. She was literally gripping the laundry chute. I'm <laughs> <laughs> like, Stacy, what the? Stacy, come back. Oh. We had a laundry chute. I feel like it's not a thing anymore, obviously. No. But we, I had one in my house. It was great. I loved riding down that thing. Well, we, uh, mine was too small to ride down, but... I mean, it was really fun, but it, but <laughs> like the, if you don't open the chute at the bottom, obviously you get a backup. So we just were constantly at a backup oh, yeah, yeah. in our lunch. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, are you ready for the speed round? You know what? I I guess I am. I guess I have not prepped for this. So well, I'm that's just, the point. You can't right. prep. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Wait. I want one more sip. Okay. All right. And I'm bitter that I lost out on asking you all these questions because I want to know more about you. Well, one day. I know. But it needs to happen like this season on on Mike. It will happen. Okay, please. Shopping online or in the store? Store. Starbucks or Dunkin'? Starbucks. East Coast? Venti 8 pump non-fat, no water chai. Thank you very much. Who would put water in... in... If you put water in it... That's what they normally do. Oh. So if you wanted a stronger flavor, you ask them for no water. Weird. Yeah. East Coast or West Coast? East. Oh, God. Who would win in a fight, Judy Garland or Barbara Streisand? Judy. It's Saturday night. Do you stay in or go out? 
stay in. Favorite TV show as a kid? Uh, Donnie Marie and uh, Carol Burnett, because I love Donnie, but I wanted to be Marie. <laughs> One thing that makes you laugh more than anything else? Farts. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> love them. Honestly, why can't people just laugh at farts? It's a 50-50. It's, it's hit or miss. I'm shocked when people are offended by poop talk or farts. Love it. Love I it. honestly can understand poop more than farts. I, I I can understand people being upset about talking about poop. But farts, come on. like let's... It's funny, but that's also a brother thing. I That's, that's true. I have do. all older brothers. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Thank you for sitting down with me. Thank you for allowing me to sit down. I, I strong-armed you into doing no, this. You, you don't even not. know me. You don't even know me. I'm not even in the biz. You know what? What? First of all, yes, this ma'am. podcast isn't just about people in the quote-unquote biz. It's about people who comedy has shaped their lives. That's what I'm interested in. Okay. And number Fair two, enough. in this world... um, I'm sure you've dealt with situations where it's feels like it's impossible to get anyone to collaborate. Mm-hmm. So if someone is interested, I'm interested. I praise you for that. I think that's fantastic and rare. So that's how I feel. So let's collaborate. Yes, please. I wish you such success with this. I hope you're enjoying it. I am. I hope people are really interested and want to know more about you and all of your friends that you bring on here. I'm so privileged and honored to have done this. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm here with Richard Buckley. This is Survival of the Wittiest. We're going to have another drink. Hope you do too. Talk to you next time. Yeah, baby. Bye. Thanks for listening. Featured music this week was by Jen Houston. Listen to her music on Facebook and YouTube at Jen Houston Music. Also, you must watch her amazing cake baking videos on Facebook called Shut Your Cake Hole. Richard Buckley is even featured in one. You can find me at Survival of the Wittiest and Teresa Cluse on Facebook and Instagram. And if you've been enjoying this podcast, and I bet you have, give it a five-star rating on iTunes. I'll see you in two weeks.